our motto, every child every day, we live that. We believe every child every day can be successful and we want to help every child every day. What will school look like this fall? How do our school administrators make the decisions that will affect families with children and by extension, our whole community? Get the inside view in this episode of the Prescott Women Podcast with PUSD Superintendent Joe Howard and Assistant Superintendent Marty Reed. Welcome to the Prescott Woman Podcast, the monthly audio companion to Prescott Woman Magazine. We're your hosts, Kelly Roberge and Charles Matthews, a curious couple exploring the rich array of talent, personality, and engagement we find throughout the Quad Cities. We dive deeper with the people featured every other month in the pages of Prescott Woman Magazine, discovering more about how they are working to make our community better. Our guests this episode are stalwart education leaders, Marty Reed and Joe Howard. Marty graduated from UC Riverside with a BS in environmental science and worked in environmental consulting for 10 years. She moved to Prescott in 1997, where her father was raised and her grandmother was a teacher at Prescott High School. Education and Prescott must be in Marty's bones because she went on to earn her teaching credentials and two master's degrees in educational technology and educational leadership. She taught for years in the classroom and worked as an administrator before becoming assistant superintendent of Prescott Unified School District. Marty loves spending time in Mexico with her family and learning about the history and culture of the Prescott area. Joe Howard also has an education of Prescott kids in his bones. Joe's father, Jim Howard, was superintendent of schools in Prescott for many years. Joe has been the superintendent of the Prescott Unified School District for the last five years, guiding the district through budgetary, enrollment, and staffing challenges. Following his second year as superintendent, he received the prestigious Distinguished Administrator Award from the Arizona School Administrators. Joe spent part of his childhood in Prescott and graduated from Prescott High School. After a stint on an Alaskan fishing boat, he returned to Arizona to build a career and raise a family. He graduated from NAU with a master's in educational leadership. Joe and his wife raised amazing twin boys and love spending time with them mountain biking and exploring. Joe and Marty were very, very open and honest with us about the challenges of educating kids during a pandemic, especially considering the limited resources available and the rapidly changing situation but they've come up with a clear plan that balances keeping kids safe while working hard to keep those kids and their education on track. There's a treat at the end of the episode. Marty, who's clearly the historian of the pair, regales us with some stories about the early years of Prescott Unified School District. So definitely listen for that. We think you will finish this episode feeling more confident in our school administrators and more hopeful for the future of our kids. And welcome to the Prescott Woman Podcast. We are here with Charles Matthews. I'm Kelly Robert. Yep. And we are interviewing Joe Howard and Marty Reed, who are joining us after a long day of answering a lot of questions about what's going on with local schooling. This is uh Prescott Unified School District. What what school district did you go to, Kelly? 
my high school is Leon High School in Leon County in North Florida. And it sounds like a redneck, but really it was named for Ponce de Leon. So it was part, it was tied into the community that way and that it was named the same name that the county was named. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a public school kid as well. And Kelly and I both have just big hearts for institutions in general, community institutions in general. We believe in public schools. We believe in institutions that tie us all together and allow us to, to meet and mingle. And we've had wonderful interactions with the, the public schools. I used to work for Boys to Men Mentoring Network, and we got to hang out in the public unified school district with boys and, and talk about what was going on for them and interact with the staff and the faculty. And we got to hang out in your, in your beautiful quad at Mile High Middle School and have a music fest a few years ago. Yeah. And that building was the, originally the high school. Is that right? That's right. Built in 1939. It was the high school until about uh, 69. Wow. And it's got a quad, like a, like a little tiny university quad. And made me feel like I was back at college. It was very. It feels great over there. And the auditorium's amazing after the remodel. And it was a, it was a great place to have a music festival. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And in fact, uh, when my kids were two years old, and I was working out in Chino. I got a call to a, a friend said, are, are you thinking of applying for that principalship? And I said, well, no. And then I walked down down the hill and, and stood around in that quad and said, oh, I have to. Yeah. I love this place. Yeah. What was it about that, that place for, for you? Do you know? Well, you know, I moved here from the Midwest and that I went to school there directly. And um, really, it was the culture there. Um, it was different than the town I came from back in Nebraska. and. Uh, it was one that really accepted all different types of people, and I felt welcome. And um, it was really more the people, but it's also such a beautiful place. Yeah. And Marty, what's your what's your connection to to Prescott and PUSD? You've been here the whole time, or? Well, uh, my family has been here for a long time. My dad, in fact, went to high school when it was at the Mile High campus, and my his mom, my grandma, was the home ec teacher there and so uh when I took my dad recently to Mile High to kind of roam the halls and remember things uh that quad was a big big part of it you know and I remember him really having a lot of good memories so I have ties to Prescott for a very long time he he didn't graduate there but we ended up coming back here eventually and I've been here about 22 years Wow. So they, you, your family moved away and then came back. Yep. Like, like many, many people who, like Joe, his family, yep. uh, he came back. That seems to be a really common story of people. And, it, and I, a really common story of people who are very involved in the community are people who've actually left and come back. Brianna, Brianna Hinkle, yeah. in fact, the, ed, the editor and, sure. and owner and publisher of, of Prescott Woman magazine uh, went away and come back. But we really want to thank you for joining us mm-hmm. today in particular, the day after rolling out the roadmap for what school is going to look like and all the ways that all the decisions are going to be made about how to keep kids and teachers and staff safe and educated during the COVID pandemic. No small task. You, The two of you and your schools have been through a ton of changes and challenges already in the last 10 years. The recession in 2008 that shrank your student body by what percentage? Do you know? Uh, we we lost about a thousand kids over 15 years, so wow. it was it was slow and hard. 
It's about yeah. 20%, I think. And that ended up closing two schools? Yeah, it kind of hit ahead around 2014, and we closed uh, Washington School and changed it to our district offices. In fact, I'm sitting there right now. Yeah. We also closed Miller Valley School, and, and, and both were certainly heartbreaks because for the many reasons we love Prescott, those, those were reasons for people. Those were, those were like the quad for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. At that time, we, we had to make that change, and um, that's really when we put our leadership team together that is the current leadership team. And we, we got in a room and, and spent lots of time and said, we, we're going to have to figure out how to make this a win. And uh, I'll give that to those leaders that we're still with today. And the way that we work collaboratively and the way that w- they work with teachers, we ask the community what they think. And so we came out with a, a whole different model and um, we haven't looked back. Yeah, as a community member who was working and volunteering in the schools during that transition, I and my other volunteers, we felt that change. We felt that change in culture and intention and tone. It was a, it was a wonderful thing to, to see and just, just be kind of next to. You guys have done a remarkable job bouncing back from that. So how does this, you've been through challenges before, how does this, how does the pandemic stack up? How does it rate? Uh, I think I was just texting someone that, that was saying, how you doing? Um, <laughs> and I'll let Marty pitch in after this, but you know, we, we've seen some tough things. You mentioned one, the school closures was really hard on us in the community. Red for Ed, that was hard, um, you know, and, and it had a good outcome. You know, our, our, our teachers were sorely behind in, in, in pay, at, but we just, we just couldn't fathom not coming to work and doing the work we do every day with kids. And um, that was only a couple of days that we actually never, we actually never broke service and we had school every day, but we did have some time when folks went down and demonstrated and that type of thing. Yeah. That was the, uh, so the, red, that, was, the red, that was the Red Fred strike, the, the yeah, work stoppage. Yeah. So that was that was a tough one, but um, they all pale in comparison to this because, again, it was that feeling uh, like, okay, we can't not have school. That's what we do. That's that's what we've got up and done every single day of our lives, and our job is to make sure that this place is rocking and rolling for kids. And that stopped. I, definitely, uh, nothing compares to the challenges of this time. Um, you're talking about life and death in some situations, and you're talking about safety of others and um, big major decisions, and then enter politics, and you know nobody's happy about that. But there's it's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been tough. But we're all in the same boat. And again, we've got these incredible teams. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than Prescott, Arizona. We've got such support from our community while we're trying to figure this out. Joe and I often uh, talk about it. Feels like we're reinventing school and in like four weeks (laughs) and uh it's been in some ways it's been fun because it's an opportunity to kind of fix some things and take a look at our systems and dig deep into them but our our systems are so tight you know i think we all know that arizona funding is is sorely lacking for education and when when we tweak one thing here, it causes a ripple effect that tweaks five other things and those tweak five other things. And it it's not easy to just say, oh, we're going to teach online now. It's a very complicated system. And, you know, it's been challenging and interesting. And Joe's right. We have such a great team. It's, it's a good team to do it with. That's for sure. We have a great leadership team. Mm. So... I bet from the the first few months of of the shutdown, you guys have some stories of triumph and tragedy that you could share with Prescott in the Quad Cities. 
I'll start with with one triumph has been that uh, our community partners really have stepped up. I, I think one of the things about living in Prescott is we have a very generous community and we have organizations that support us in many ways. And, you know, I just think of things like, um, for instance, Pangea Bakery said, hey, every day we have this leftover bakery goods. Could you give those to your families? And we said, sure. And we set up a a way that we could pick those up and give them to families. Uh, We had people who said, hey, we'll make lunches for you. We know you're working hard and we want to deliver lunches to you and just show you that we appreciate you. We know it's a tough time. Offers of donations. What can we do to help kids get online? I, I love this community not just in a pandemic, but at all times because of the support we have from from our partners. There's so many stories like that. And I, I mean, I even have, I have 20 new files in my, uh, in my Google email files that based on COVID, you know, like COVID closures, COVID reopening, parent concerns, teacher concerns. And um, I have one that says COVID helpers that I put like the first week that this was going on, people who offered to help. That thing's so full. I think Google's been trying to get a hold of me to, to tone that down a little bit. But that that really speaks to our community. I'll try. I'll try to be brief and, and just share how this all rolled out for me. And Marty was a part of that. But you know, we were on spring break, and my family. Uh, well, one of my sons and my wife and I went to Utah to ride our bikes. We were trying to get some wilderness, and we were hitting slot canyons and things like that. We'd come out every couple of days, and and I'd get these strange texts and emails like. Hey, uh, uh, so-and-so just got back from such and such a place. Do you think you should self-quarantine? I'm like, I don't know that that's in my vocabulary, self-quarantine. Uh, what's this guy talking about? And so I started to get these emails. And then one of my principals texted and said, you know, I've gone into the canyons again, come out two days later. And it's like, hey, we're thinking of canceling that field trip to ASU. And I'm like, uh, Marty. <laughs> I called Marty and, um, you know, and, and so this thing started moving fast, as you all know. And I, and I said to my family, I go, we got to go home. And uh, we went home. I'm talking to Marty on the road. I'm talking to the mayor on the road. I'm talking to all kinds of different people. And I'm talking to district leaders across the state. And we came out with a statement real quick that said, we realize this is happening. We're watching it closely. We're having school. Because that's, like I said earlier, like we I can't wake up in the morning and think we're not going to have school, even if it's snowing really hard. That's hard for me. And what happened right then had never happened to me before. We got bombarded by concerned parents, and uh, rightly so. And they knocked my door down and said, hey, you better wake up and listen to what our concerns are right now. And I mean, I, I never that quickly said, oh, my gosh, we, we need to really stop and take a look here. And so same thing then, gathering information, gathering information, talking to all kinds of people, and then and working on a communication that ended up saying, and it, this was over about 48 hours, and talking on the phone and talking on the phone and other districts and saying, if you do it, I'll do it, kind of things like that. And then- Hold hands really, and jump together. <laughs> yeah. And then you're, you're seeing school districts close, big ones, little ones, and then boom, we pulled the trigger on that. It was like, oh, wow, that was really hard and okay, but we got it figured out. And so now I can relax. Not, you know, that we kind of hung out there for about two days before the governor came out and said, all right, it's off for everybody. Now, at that point, there was a great deal of relief because uh, there were lots of sides to this and lots of opinions about this. But I, I don't say this often. Um, I don't say this always, 
because we do live in number 48 in the nation in terms of funding. And I don't think that our government and our legislators have done the right job to support education. But they did a fabulous job when this went down uh, in the spring. They did everything that they needed to do to support us. They even enacted legislation quickly to help do what we needed to do. And I will say that track record has continued and they've done everything that I would ask them to do in a school situation. Yeah. That's so great that they're so, that you guys are feeling supported in in doing the really difficult work of yeah. of building this path as, you know, like one step in front of us. You guys did an amazing job of figuring out what to do when nobody knew what to do. We I have to give a lot of credit to our teachers. I mean, they just stepped up. We asked them to turn it around to distance learning. And in one week, most of those teachers had their students online and they were working with them. And then the next week, everyone else came online. And we we all left for spring break thinking <laughs> everything's normal. I was in Mexico for a good part of it. And little did we know that, you know, four or five months later, we'd still be doing it. <laughs> so the lesson is do not go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I live we, for vacation. Yeah. 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 You and you and all you and everybody else at BUSD, right? So I'm just curious whether or not whether or not you feel like you and your staff having been through this shutdown already, whether or not there's some uh almost like a relationship capital or 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 relationship resiliency that was built before and now you're going to sort of have to spend or or take advantage of this fall. It it will be a shift for our teachers because fourth quarter, they knew their students and uh, mm. they had a relationship. This quarter, we're going to be building relationships with new students. And, but we learned a lot fourth quarter. We we're making a lot of changes for this upcoming quarter. We surveyed parents, we surveyed teachers, we took that data seriously. And we've made changes as far as, uh, you know, Engaging with the kids more, more what we call synchronous or real-time learning. We'll see more of that this quarter. And some asynchronous or self-paced learning, kind of a combination of both. And uh, it's interesting, you know, some students really stepped up in that online format. That was a, a good format for them. And they, they actually worked harder and, and did more than they ever had before. But you asked before about, you know, maybe a tragedy. And I think I would be remiss without stating that those families that don't have the resources to provide internet and devices and be home with their kids to help them through this, it's, it's hard on those kids. They're, they're going to fall a little bit behind. And it's a worry. I was going to ask about that because in some of the outlying areas, up to 70% of the people don't have internet. And I, I was curious if PUSD has, I, I would guess maybe you have a better percentage than that, but there's still some people who don't have access. Right. This is a huge discussion across Arizona, and it's particularly a problem in rural areas. Um, you know, to kind of piggyback on what Marty said in terms of how the teachers responded, um, again, also so proud of the teachers from a technological standpoint, however, our teachers have been focusing on a platform called Google Classroom. It's an online piece, and you can you can use that to assign things and have have kids turn papers in and grade those papers and things like that. We we had moved quite a ways with that prior to any of this happening, so that was a huge advantage for us. The other huge advantage is that 
our taxpayers in 2015 passed a bond and our board and, and our staff had made a commitment to going as close to one-to-one as possible. And so we, we were in good shape in terms of devices with this, but let me get to a point with this. That, well, before, that you, before you move on, can you just explain what you mean by one-to-one? I'm not sure that everybody listening yeah, would know what that means. You bet. So the concept of one-to-one would be uh, a computer device for each child. Now we, we have that all the way from seventh grade to 12. And we're probably about Marty, would you say three to one uh, from K to K to seven? Two or yeah, three to one. Uh, five, six is getting close. And then K4, we're probably three to one. But I, I think I want to get to a political point with this. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help myself. But um, if you want to talk about fairness and equity, and it's really hard to pass the bond and override in Prescott, Arizona, but we did it. Thank you so much, taxpayers. And I'm sorry, Chino Valley. Those kids don't have it. They, they have not been able to pass bonds and overrides out there. And Prescott Valley uh, failed their last one. They're coming back again. We hope that they can pass that. In Arizona, when we're, where we're 48th to 50th in the nation, we're left to uh, communities that may or may not have the resources to do this. And we've found a way to do it in PUSD. Our focus is every child every day. We're taking care of about 4,000 kids here. What about the rest? There's a million in Arizona. I'm glad you brought that point up. We're, we're doing well with connectivity, and it gives us a great advantage with distance learning. But do we, yes, do we have kids who don't have connectivity issues? We do. And if there's one, then we have a problem. That's what every, every child every day means. Now, that, that said, we gave out over 350 Chromebooks or laptops to our, our students. They lined up in like a mile line around Prescott High School for three days and picked up these Chromebooks. We're going to do it again in the fall. But my push is going to say is going to be to say every child in Arizona deserves that. And so we need to step that up. So I know that everybody's looking at this, the state, the feds and everybody understands that we're going to need a whole bunch of hot spots or figure out some type of way where we can get kids connected across the whole state. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mobile hotspots are really important, especially in the outlying areas. So this is kind of an opportunity for you if you want to talk a little bit about this roadmap that you put in place. It's a 20-page document. It was being updated as I was downloading it today. Uh, I know you just presented it and got it passed by the school board. What are some some highlights of this roadmap about how you're going to conduct education this fall? It was an incredible group effort once again. You, you kind of asked a question earlier about how, how maybe culture and relationships, how have you put those to use? I've said a bunch of times in this situation in, in that it's been a true test to our culture and the response has been beautiful. I'm so proud of our leaders. Marty mentioned earlier, the teachers, the teachers stood by saying, we're ready to go whenever you are, let us know what you need. And they jumped right in. It was, it was a wonderful thing. So it kind of bothers her, I know, because she's very humble. But Marty Reed, right here on this podcast, she was, I call her the quarterback because I, sometimes I, I'm missing football right now. Like when, <laughs> when, when we have big challenges against us sometimes in PUSD, uh, sometimes I'll say, you guys, Marty's the quarterback on this one. And I'll tell you what, she's throwing some big touchdown passes. But, um, and, and, sh- and she'll tell you in a minute when I let her tell you about the document. But a huge group effort. Uh, lots and lots and of people and hours and hours of teachers and committees. Uh, but Marty was the organizer of that. So Marty, well, why don't you just tell a little bit about uh, how the roadmap helps us to decide based on based on risk levels, what's best for our kids? 
Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate your kind comments, but it truly was a team effort, just like in football. There was a big team <laughs> behind this. <laughs> but the, the roadmap is a guidance document to really help us understand what learning model we should be in based on the, the risk in the community. So if the risk, the health risk is minimal in the community, then we want in-person school. We want kids on our campuses, kids in our classrooms. We know that's the best way for learning. We know that school provides other supports for students. We, we want our campuses open. I want the community to know that's our number one goal. But we have to do it in a way that's safe for staff and students. Minimal risk, and that's determined by the health department, uh, local agencies, you know, what's going on in the community. We are opening our doors. And of course, we will have health and safety uh, guidelines in place as well, which are in the roadmap. So you're looking at that. If it's minimal risk, we're looking at cases that are declining or, or holding steady. And the, and the state health and the county health department are saying things are going is it going good? I'm assuming hospitalization rates and all of that are falling to kind of give us a sense of like, okay, yes, okay, opening exactly. schools, opening schools is not going to contribute to making things worse. Let's get these kids on the campus. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then, well, let's go to the next extreme, which would be substantial, which is really what we're in now. There's increasing cases. Our hospitals are um, becoming full with patients. It's feeling like we're not controlling it, or at least it's steady. And so in a substantial risk situation, we would go to a distance learning model. And the, the roadmap describes what is that? What does that include? What does that look like? And then if there's, you know, remember in-person school is what we really want. So if the risk in the community gets down to a moderate level, then we want to implement a hybrid, which means 50% of the kids are on campus at a time. And so we've reduced that student density, increased physical distancing, and of course have our health and safety protocols in place. And so students would be in school two days a week and learning at home three days a week. Great. You know, I, I looked over, like I said, I, I read over the, the roadmap and I really encourage anybody who's concerned about schools, concerned about kids, parents out there to go ahead and, and look at that roadmap so that, there, so that there aren't surprises, so you understand what kind of decision making is happening. And I, th and I know that's one of the things that shows up in kind of our political discourse is this lack of trust and, and lack of understanding about how uh, leaders and decision makers are, are making those important decisions in our lives. And, you know, if you're feeling confused, you know, check out the website, check out that roadmap. It's very clear. And uh, it makes me as a community member, I don't even have kids, but it makes me feel <laughs> more confident and more relaxed. It's like, oh, People are looking at if X, then Y, if this, then that. Oh, oh, this isn't just a free-for-all. Okay, got it. Great, good. When Go we presented to the board last night, one of the first things I said was, as everything we do in Prescott Unified School District, this was collaborative, which means it took a lot longer. And it was much more complex to put together because we're listening to parents. We surveyed parents twice. We're going to survey them again even after this. I don't know, Marty, am I exaggerating to say um, hundreds of emails from parents with lots and lots of ideas and venting and anxiety? We read all of them, even, even if they're offensive. And we read all of them and we consider all of them. Even the offensive ones, we lay awake worrying about making sure we, we, we 
are addressing those issues and that kind of thing. And so we worked with the Yavapai County Health Department, or I should say we will continue to work with them, but we shared the entire document with them. We had attorneys look at it. Um, our school board approved it recently, as you know, and there's just lots and lots of people involved in it. And I want to say that CDC is all through it. Um, the Arizona Department of Education gave, you know, kind of the direction of the original model, and we're very in line with that. Point is, there's lots and lots of input to it, and it's still not perfect or anywhere close. It will be changing often. But, you know, and it's like you said, Charles, it's extensive. And I, I sent a, an, an email out to parents with it today, and I said, don't let it overwhelm you. Please use it for a tool to help you ease your anxiety and know that we have a variety of plans. And this is, instead of seeing a lot, see a lot of options. That's kind of the, the whole purpose of that. And then we told parents, we said, stand by. Now we're going to barrage you with these details. Hopefully that's going to start to fill in what these things look like, what these different models that Marty's talking about looks like. What days does my kid go to school and not go to school in a hybrid situation, for example? And I got to tell you, it's, it's like when I was a new teacher and I was uh, two pages ahead of the kids in the science textbook, you know, we're creating this and then we're sharing it and then we're adjusting it. And so we are building the plane as it flies, uh, but we're doing it with a lot, a lot of good information and the best that we have. Yeah, something else I noticed when I was reading the, reading the roadmap was this focus on care. The C word kept coming up over and over again and care for the students, care for the staff, self-care, uh, you know, care for the town, caring for one another, um, paying attention to somebody who cared more about their risk maybe than your level of risk acceptance. And all of this sort of compassion threading through this, this technical document. And I think that's uh, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is with you setting that kind of tone, what do you hope that the kids, what do you hope that the students are learning about or seeing about a community in crisis? What do you hope they're, they're learning and noticing? You know, I will say that our teachers do truly care about their students. I mean, when, when we talk about our, our kids, we mean our kids. They are our kids. You know, you kind of mentioned earlier about the shift that you saw when we we closed those two schools and we had to reorganize. And and Joe talked about this leadership team that that was developed that is collaborative, caring, kind. Our motto, every child, every day, we live that. We believe every child every day can be successful and we want to help every child every day. Even when they make mistakes, even when they make poor choices, we still love them. We'll still help them through it. So I, I think, you know, we have some culture programs in our district called uh, Capturing Kids Hearts and Kids at Hope. And I think our students feel it. And we have ways that we're going to implement those programs uh, virtually. And it's relationship building. It, it's about learning about each other and, and being tolerant and kind. And I, I think, honestly, the students feel it. I think they know that we care about them, and I think they care about us. There's a whole section, as you may have seen in the roadmap, about social-emotional support for kids. We made a commit to, commitment to that long ago in PUSD. In fact, we, we made an economical commitment to that, and our board doubled the staff that we have. We have, we have four full-time counselors that are focused totally on social-emotional 
I can tell you those people were working every single day, fourth quarter on the phone or on Zooms, still doing that work for their kids. And now they're putting together programs to help the, the teachers to make sure that that's a piece of everything we're doing. And that, I mean, and now there's a whole, a whole new concept of how do we help kids cope with this pandemic? There are strategies and, and everybody's struggling with this. And so, uh, and some kids are struggling a lot with this. That's a big piece for us. I'm curious if well, any of that curriculum might be appropriate for a couple of middle-aged folks. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm reading that stuff every day. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. It I, works great for adults. Yeah, I've got a mental health background and and I, I'm really excited to hear that you guys have put that in place because it's such an important piece. Kids can't get around to learning if they're too worried and too scared to to focus. So that's fantastic. And this is, you know, this is unprecedented, as we keep saying. Yeah. And when you asked how how we hoped kids would see this, you know, in the future, looking back on it, I hope that our kids look back and and they saw the way that we handled it. And they they find that they also have those skills of how to work through some of those really hard times. I just hope that in the future, they feel like they made through it. Okay. Yeah. They without you know, serious harm. I just, I want them to be academically successful. I want them to have the emotional support they need. And I want them just to be able to succeed and, and they won't know why or what we did, but but that's okay. No. What what is, what is the quote about, about leaders? You know, the, the real leaders, it's, you know, that's happening when the, when the people, in this case, the students say, look at what we did. Absolutely. Yes, and I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm guessing that the students are going to be telling stories about, we got through that. We overcame. We did it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We yeah. overcame something amazing. Yep. Yep. And yep. the, the skills, the, the strength and the abilities they're going to have as a result of this, they might be missing out on some classroom learning, but they're building other important, vital skills and strengths that's going to stand them in really good stead in, the, in this really uncertain future. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they see themselves in a place where they go, oh, now I need to do that. My turn. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, that wasn't so easy, was it? <laughs> right, right. They and they it. will, they will. You, you, you all, everyone in this uh, chat has worked closely with kids and you know they're amazing and they will do it. Absolutely. They'll take great mm-hmm. care of things. They absolutely. So you yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. have already said how much support you've gotten from the community. Uh, it sounds like quite a bit. Is there anything else that you need help with? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's a great question. Yeah, I could answer that in a lot of a lot of ways, and and um, I'll I'll just start by saying that we're we're blessed more than a lot of communities because we live in Prescott, Arizona, and we just have such a ge- generous community. But I think Marty alluded to it earlier. We don't have much wiggle room at all. Uh, you know, we, we can't just say, oh, you know what, let's pay someone to do this or, or you know, let's, let's provide that. When your budget is a third of your neighboring states, we're, we're so efficient that, that when something goes south, like a COVID or a pandemic, um, it's really hard to move and change. Now, again, I'll say our state has done some things to pave that way for us and, and help us with that. but. The help that we need is to continue to speak up and maybe take a look, maybe take it from a positive standpoint and say, thank you, state of Arizona and governor and legislature for the great work you did during the COVID. 
Now let's get out of 48. Let's get into 38 and let's set some goals. Let's do that in the next five years because we, you know, we got to do this now for these kids now, not some other kids down the line, but let's fund education. We got, we have a lot of people who are passionate about the value of education, but we're not putting our money where our mouth is and, and at least get us to where, you know, maybe the bottom 20 in the country instead of the bottom four or two. That sounds like a plan. That's been said. That's been said. Great. We're going to be we're going to be right back and and talk about something uh, kind of cheerful, the 150th anniversary of PUSD and the the rich history and the and all that all that the school system has already overcome. We'll be right back with more from the Prescott Woman podcast. This episode is the companion piece to the cover story in the upcoming issue of Prescott Woman Magazine. For more on the educational values and leadership principles that Joe and Marty promote, and lots of great pictures, pick up the August-September issue as soon as it hits newsstands on August 1st. This excellent magazine is free at locations all over town. Check the show notes to find one close to you or subscribe at PrescottWomanMagazine.com to make sure you get yours as soon as it comes out. Now back to the interview with Marty and Joe. And we are back with the Prescott Woman podcast, and I get to say the word sesquicentennial now. (laughs) That was good. You've You've been thinking about that for a little while at least, huh? I don't know. I'm just a word nerd. Yeah. So sesquicentennial means? 150 years anniversary. So PUSD, Prescott Unified School District, is the third school district in the state? Third oldest. We have some arguments over that. We're, we're trying to research, you know, uh, we're either the first, second, or third, but definitely the first in Yavapai. I say first. Yeah. For the definitely, yeah, first, first ever, and in the world, yeah. I mean, 150 years, 150 years ago, in in a town in the West is a long time ago. Long there must have time. been nothing. There was nothing. Well, of course, we were the territorial capital, and being the territorial capital, we we did have some educated people here, and we had folks who believed in education, and. When education started in Prescott in the in the old days, back in the mid-1800s, primarily they were done out of people's homes. A family would pay the person to teach their child. It was kind of a private, private industry. In 1868, the County Board of Supervisors decided to establish Prescott Unified School District and levy a tax to, you know, have a school system. And that kind of went off and on really for a few years. And it was really in 1871 that it kind of became more stable. There's a very sweet story that I came across from an eighth grader who they had to close school due to funding. Uh, They didn't have enough funding to pay the teacher and they had to close school for a few months. And she wrote this wonderful essay about how she she will miss her classmates and her teachers and how um, education is so important and can't wait for school to start back up. And it was very sweet. It was like, wow, you know, they really valued education. So that that was pretty cool. And just to, and put, then, just to put it in context, this is six years after the end of the Civil War. This is... Right? Yeah. This anyway. all helps <laughs> build the case when people people ask us why our schools don't have parking lots. Ah, uh, <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. yeah. They yeah. had they had they had posts for the horses. They didn't have a no. 
Yeah. So that's a little, that's a, that's still a challenge to this very day. It's when everybody drove Mustangs. (laughs) But so that, so the, so the, the school must've been one of the first institutions in, in the town. It was. And, and what really kind of helped PUSD flourish was, uh, a gentleman from back east brought brought a model to Prescott that that was the latest and greatest on the east coast and that was instead of a one room schoolhouse you know K8 they actually built the Prescott Free Academy that had four classrooms based on grade level so you know it was that was the latest educational model was to separate kids by by age that building was built right in front of where Washington School is now. And it had uh, governor administrative offices up top. And it was quite a beautiful building. And so that was a big part of, you know, education was important in Prescott. And that was a creative model. And, and we kind of feel like we're we're still following in those same footsteps. And I'll point out, and many people already know this, but, you know, the little log cabin classroom at Charlotte Hall is a replica of one of those one one room buildings that Marty was talking about and um, was rumored to have been somewhere in the vicinity of Mile High Middle School. Uh, I always like to think it was somewhere under that uh, 350 year old cottonwood tree that still remains down there. If you picture that little cabin down there and the kids coming up and down the creek. Yeah, it's not a rumor, Joe. We found some articles about it and it was there out there kind of by the field. I don't know if it was under that 350 year old cottonwood, but it was definitely out there in the field area. So that's, you know, kind of a call to action for anybody listening is, you know, once once we can move around freely and and not infect one another, you know, go check out that that log cabin and go check out that ginormous cottonwood tree that's at the end of the football field at, at Mile High Middle School that has got to be close to six feet in diameter. And cottonwood trees aren't supposed to live that long. So right. there's, some, there's something it's, there's something um, y'all are doing right for that tree. Yeah, it's believed to be around 350 years old. And Long ago, when I was the principal at Mile High Middle School, it won the Great Tree of Arizona Award. And at that point, unconfirmed, but they, they said it was definitely one of, if not the oldest Fremont cottonwood in the Southwest. Wow. And that's right here in our own hometown. For me, a, a sense of community involves a sense of history. You know, Prescott is an interesting place to live in that it's got all of this history and it's got people like the Howard family and the Reed family and everybody else who's been here for a long time. Sometimes they go away. Sometimes they come back. You know, we have the world's oldest rodeo and we have all these people who are brand new um, coming in this town. I just want to encourage everybody who's who's from somewhere else to to do some things to root yourself into this community. Go and visit that tree. Go and visit Charlotte Hall Museum. Become you know, a Prescott advocate and, and not just a resident. It gives me a lot of, I think it helps my mental health to, to feel like I belong to something older than me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so P, we were talking earlier, you know, POSD has, has, you know, been through several wars, has already been through a pandemic. This is the second mm-hmm. or the third, if you count the 1970 right. flu. I don't know how, I don't know how badly that hit Prescott, but y'all, but y'all have been through this before. Yeah, in 1918, we were closed. Uh, Marty, Marty knows the details, obviously. Uh, I think all of November, maybe October, November in 1918. Yep. Yeah. Or the Spanish flu. Yep. Yeah, that must have been, that was the second wave. Yeah. That was the bad second wave. Correct. Yeah, Rebecca was telling me that there are pictures in your archives of kids in school with masks on. I have not seen that. I can hardly wait to see that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm telling a fib. Yeah. Maybe it's our our next commercial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Fantastic. So, you know, talking about this history, talking about what, what PUSD has weathered before and that, that ongoing uh, commitment to community, that ongoing commitment to kids and that ongoing commitment to, to, you know, growth and change, you know, the, the first four room schoolhouse, you know, pioneering new techniques of differentiated learning. That's the, that's the technical term for what was going on there. Um, Hopefully that puts you all in, in good stead for, for getting through the the latest challenge that we're that we're facing as a community, I'm really glad to know that y'all are are thinking hard about it and planning hard about it, and keeping your values intact. Those values of uh, every child, every day, care, compassion, collaboration. And again, we'll ask you know any any ways for the public to get involved either in in celebrating this 150 the sorry sesquicentennial sesquicentennial birthday. Yes, stand by on that. You know we our, our plan was to. Um, you know, celebrate that whenever we had a public gathering, and those are those are on hold quite a bit right now. Um, and so, so standby, we'll be we'll be offering opportunities uh, to celebrate that with our community. But I want to bounce off something you said earlier, Charles, with a, about what this what a beautiful community have we have in this great history, and and how it feels good to get involved and be a part of that. Um, and especially this mix of people who've been here or come back, and and this great new mix of people who are coming for the first time from different places. The diversity of those people, the backgrounds that they bring, the unbelievable life experience that they have means a lot to our kids. And we have 850 volunteers in PUSD. Um, and a lot of those are retirees and they're all, all ages and all walks of life. And they're doing all kinds of different things for our kids. Now that's all on hold during COVID. And uh, you know we, we can't welcome volunteers back until it's safe. But we urge people to get involved with our schools walk through our halls, work with our kids. Our kids are unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> I don't hear it so much so much more kids these days, negative comments, because I think we work well together as a community. But kids these days are unbelievably amazing. They're smart. They're funny. They are serious. Um, they want to do great things. And so I would urge our community to celebrate our 150 years and celebrate public school by getting involved with those kids. Tell them your story. We have so much to learn from you, whether you're new or you've been here a long time. We all have these great stories. And that's that's a huge piece of what our kids get from this Prescott community is they learn from great experience. And that would be my ask to help us celebrate 150 years. Mm. Excellent. That's great. And y'all are going to need a tag team. There's going to, we, mm-hmm. we're going to need like 2000, 4,000 volunteers to just kind of tag you guys out after all this so that Marty can go on vacation. <laughs> um, and, uh, let's do it. Yeah. And we, we, we were joking at the break, but I, you know, I think the community should throw you guys a party so you don't have to throw yourselves a party. I think we, you know, we need to have a party to celebrate the, the frontline workers and the nurses and the doctors and the teachers and administrators and staff who've been keeping our kids safe. And, and just how lucky we are as a community to have you guys. You're Thank you're you. lucky to have a great community in Prescott, but we're really lucky to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so, so if there are any 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 party planners out there who are trying to think about what to do with themselves, mm-hmm. yeah, let us know. <laughs> we'll do it Prescott it. style. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Joe Howard, Marty Reed, thank you so much for for taking time out of your incredibly busy, hectic schedule, keeping things together and joining us. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank was, you for having was, us. Thank you. It was fun to talk to you. What incredible energy and devotion Joe and Marty both have. 
We don't have kids, but if we did, I'd feel confident sending them to PUSD schools, knowing that thoughtful, smart, dedicated people like Joe and Marty are knocking themselves out to find the best possible ways to keep education going under these really challenging circumstances. So if you're concerned or curious, check out the PUSD reopening roadmap at www.prescottschools.com. Once campus opens up, consider becoming a volunteer. There are lots of ways to get involved with kids and they crave adult attention and care. Contact Debbie Prieto, volunteer coordinator at 928-445-5400. And subscribe to the Prescott Woman podcast so you don't miss a thing. Find us on the Prescott Woman website and in all major podcast apps. This is Charles Matthews and Kelly Robert with the Prescott Woman podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next month when we talk with Terry from NACOG about their work keeping the community thriving and people employed.